In today's show, I'm going to be joined by Raphael Barlow, and we're going to start talking about the 2022, don't know why I said it that way, 2022 NBA draft. Michael Bolton, he'll sit in and listen. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms yesterday. We did a, or I did, a mock draft, my first mock draft. That's the beginning of draft season here on the show. And today we're going to be speaking with Raphael Barlow, who's one of the hosts at Locked On NBA Draft, and also taken over from Chad Ford at the Locked On NBA Big Board. Um, a guy that's been on this show for many years now, one of the most uh, exciting up-and-coming NBA draft guys. And I reckon it won't be long before he is uh, one of the top one or two draft people in the land, if he's not already. So we're going to talk about him, just about the class in general, about the draft, about drafting principles, about scouting, about things that he's heard from out on the road, scouting and talking to agents and uh, front office staff and all that sort of stuff. So I guess we should bring Raphael in to uh, have a bit of a chat. Here he is, Raphael Barlow, back on the show. Raph, welcome back. Thanks for having me, man. I, I really appreciate this this opportunity to talk basketball. You know, your show is always special to me because it kind of put me in this position. Well, I appreciate that, but you've uh, provided plenty of value to us here on uh, Unlocked on Fantasy Basketball as well with all your draft stuff over the last few years, and we're going to do it again. We're here for 2022. This is the first. Um, we did. I did a mock draft yesterday myself as sort of my initial. This is my baseline of where I'm viewing the players, and now we're going to get in and dig in and talk to a bunch of draft analysts. And you're the first one of those that we're talking to. Of course, you do host um, the Locked On NBA Big Board Show, and you've taken over from Chad Ford at NBABigBoard.com over there. So, do you want to just give that a quick plug before we uh, before we start off of what you're doing over there on NBA Big Board? Yes, yeah, so I took over for Chad. I want to say it was probably, and it's almost been two months now over at NBA Big Board, and it's NBABigBoard.com. So it was a newsletter Chad Ford had. It's it's a subscription based newsletter, so it's seven dollars a month, or either you can pay fifty dollars a year. And uh, one of the things that makes it, I guess, worth it is that um, Chad and I, and I and I got some of the context from Chad, but we use different intel from NBA teams as far as what's going on behind the scenes. So if I make a mock draft, sometimes it's my own personal mock, but then I've, I've been able to like interview multiple executives and scouts from NBA teams. And so I can kind of take the temperature on, on the prospects. And then I have the... Locked on NBA Big Board Podcast, which is covering the draft, and it's it's five days a week. And, uh, I mean, I really enjoy it. Even though talking basketball podcast five days a week can be a little bit challenging, but um, it's something I enjoy. So you can check it out there at the uh, NBA Big Board uh, the podcast here on the Locked On Network. Let's, let's just start with this NBA draft now, 2022. Mm-hmm. What is one word that you would describe to for, for this class? Look, 
we'll give it one word and then we'll go a bit into that. But what's you know, your overall, this is what 2022 is? I would say deep. And the reason I would say, and I guess it's just more, but I have to elaborate. I would say it's a deep class simply because there's, in my opinion, I don't think there's a lot of difference between, let's say, pick 15 through 35. So there are guys that, you know, if they went number 17, I wouldn't be shocked. If that same person fell all the way to 35 or 40, I wouldn't be shocked either. So I would say it's it's deep in, in guys that I think can be quality role players. Okay. I think that's that's the idea that I had with this with this class as well is that it's yeah it, it is deep rather than being pointy. So uh, and I think I'd probably even go a little bit further. You said fifteen to thirty five. So the way I've been looking at it, like, even if after like six or seven, like there might be you know 15, 10, 15 guys that could fit into the next six spots, and then and then you get even further from there. I, I feel like there's that early delineation, but after that it gets. It gets pretty wild to me. When I did my mock yesterday after pick six, it was like, all right, I've got 10 guys here who I think could realistically yeah, fit in this spot whether a team picks them there or not. But if a team did, I'd say, oh yeah, I, I get why you've done that. And and that's that, that's a little bit different to what we've had in, in previous years. So in terms of you're contrasting it to say last year, 2021, or to 2020, and, and even moving forward to 2023, how does it compare um, quality-wise, depth-wise, star talent-wise, all, all that sort of stuff? Well, you know, 2020 was an interesting year. At least um, for me, I felt like because it was such a long process, I started to overanalyze and overevaluate guys. Um, but 2020 was a year that a lot of people did not think was supposed to be a good year. And I think in that class, for sure, you have two all-stars in LaMelo and and Anthony Edwards. Um, 2021 was kind of like a historic class in a sense. So I don't want to go as far as comparing 2022 to 2021. So I guess it's somewhere in between. And then I just think it's too early to talk about 23 right now. In terms of yeah, 2020, I was having a discussion with someone in the YouTube comments yesterday because I said that this class probably more closely resembles that 2020 class. And he said, well, yeah, everyone at, at 2020 said it was one of the worst draft classes ever. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't think that's exactly what people said. They, that The idea to me from 2020 was there wasn't necessarily huge amounts of upside potential guys. And we've got two stars out of that with, with Ed, Edwards and Ball. You know, Strong performances from Maxi this year, solid stuff from Halliburton. But overall, the class seemed to just be, here's a bunch of really, really good starters, but maybe not a bunch of all-NBA caliber players. And it's probably exceeded our expectations somewhat there, but is that sort of how we see this one? Or is the star talent at the top of 2022 a little bit better, a little bit more highly regarded than what 2020 was at the time? Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit more highly regarded than 2020, but simply because 2020, you had LaMelo, who was in Australia, you had Anthony Edwards, who went to Georgia. So you didn't have your guys at your blue blood schools or guys that were on TV every night to get the same type of hype. Wiseman only played two games. So, so I think that's the reason why people weren't as high on it. At least in this class, you have you know Ben Carroll, who went to Duke. So you saw him on TV. He had a long NCAA tournament run. Jabari Smith played on TV. Chet was at Gonzaga. Gonzaga played you know multiple games on national TV. So I think... The hype behind this class is a little bit different simply because the casual fan probably in 2020 probably didn't know any of the guys. You couldn't have watched, you know, the top three picks in the NCAA tournament. Um, but I think with 
but with, with this class, I, I do think it is a four-man class. Maybe even, I mean, you go on sharp, could be five, could be six. So I think this class is a little bit deeper. You're, pre- you're preempting one of my questions later on, Raf. We'll get we'll get to that in a little bit of in a little bit of time. But before we get into that, I've got to tell you about Price Picks because if you're looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA, the finals are coming up. Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy. It's very very simple. You just pick two to five players. And you get their over-unders of the props they put out there, whether that's points or threes, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, fantasy points. Pick a guy, Steph, points, over-under, bang, he's in there. Marcus Smart steals, over-under, bang, it's in there. And you can win up to 10 times your entry fee. It's really simple, it's really fast, it's really straightforward. It's also really safe. And it's not just basketball, you can chuck other sports in there as well. The NHL playoffs are on, baseball is on, there are fights on there. You're going to have college sports when that kicks back off as well. And we've got a great offer. PricePix has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all users. You've got 50 bucks for free. For player in your first PricePix entry scores a single point, but you must use that code NBA. That's right. It's an exclusive offer available for all Locked On fans. You sign up today, use the code NBA, 50 bucks for free. If a player in your first PricePix entry scores a single point PricePix, it's daily fantasy made easy. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you reference it there with LaMelo Ball. The, the impact of these non-traditional pathways into the NBA. So the NBL, we had LaMelo Ball. We had Josh Giddy. We're going to have um, uh, Usman Dieng this season coming across from the NBL. We've had the second season now of the G League Ignite. We know Jalen Green from last season. We've got uh, Dyson Daniels as one of the top guys this season coming from G League Ignite. And now we've got Overtime Elite. In the mix. So, how does we've got a couple of prospects there who uh, are putting their name into the draft? From what I understand, not they're not going to go particularly high. But what is the impact of these non-traditional pathways in terms of you know, being able to assess competition levels in the NBL? Because we had you know, college and we had Europe, really, and that, that were the things that we looked at. And even getting a handle on Europe took a while. But now these extra pathways that we still don't really know. How does it translate? What's the level of competition? How is that impacting the way scouts are approaching the draft with these you know, multiple you know, multiple different prongs all funneling into the league and the draft process? Yeah, I think it's, it can be somewhat of a challenge. I mean, Australia and New Zealand are not close. So, you know, before maybe every long once in a while, you may have had to take a trip to China to evaluate a prospect. But now Australia has to be on your on your radar, just like Europe was. So it's a long flight. And I do think there are some teams that probably did not make it out there. <laughs> and so I think that can be a little bit challenging. With overtime, nobody knew what to expect. It was their first year. The players are a little bit younger. So some people thought it was like high school. But there's a chance that there can be two guys drafted from overtime. So you have to take that serious. And then with the G League, it's it's easy to evaluate in the sense simply because it's, it's closer the NBA scouts are very familiar with the players that they're playing against. And it's, you know, I guess it's, you know, I guess they're saying like, it's not, um, I mean, it's easier for NBA scouts to evaluate since they know the systems and all that. But the problem is for the players, sometimes it can be the lack of exposure that kind of hurts them. I mean, you look at a guy like Michael Foster and you compare his numbers in the G league with the Ignite to every other first round pick outside of maybe like Keegan Murray and guys that put up huge numbers, his numbers are comparable, but for whatever reasons, he's not getting the same buzz. And so some people believe that it's because, um, you know, if you would have went to, you know, a blue blood school, 
then maybe he'd have a bigger buzz or, or you know a fanfare around his name. So I do think it's a little bit difficult, difficult. But now scouts have to do the work. I mean, you have to travel and you have to be able to really evaluate on on different levels. I mean, Europe was tough enough because. You know, every country has different levels. So you don't know if, if a guy's playing in Spain, he could be playing second division, or there's guys that are playing on major teams, but they're not getting any minutes. So I, I just think as a scout, you have your work cut out for you. And I think for general managers, it makes them, it makes the position, uh, you know, it makes drafting a little bit tougher also because, I mean, the options are wider. In terms of the Ignite, like I think some of the problem we had last year was you know, we saw the, the numbers that the Kaminga and Green were putting up, but then the, the context has got to be a part of it because they're in a team where it's just them against those G League guys and is the team actually trying to win or is it trying to feed um, possessions to those guys when in a winning or a team that is you know, desperate to win, they wouldn't be like Kaminga wouldn't have been getting necessarily that usage on a team that was trying to win games in a different situation. So has that been somewhat of a concern or was that as much of a concern this season with the guys like uh, Daniels and Beauchamp and, um, and Hardy and Foster this season? How did that compare to the Ignite experience from last year? Well, you brought up a good point. And I think it's more so in, in Europe we see often also because there, there are not a lot of developmental minutes in Europe. Yep. You know, if a guy is good enough to play on a – you know, a powerhouse team, he may be good enough to make the roster, but he may not be good enough to earn any minutes. So as a scout, you, you're you going off of what you saw him do at, you know, maybe like the under-18s or under-19s when he was playing with his age group or in a lower division. So I think that part is comparable to Europe as far as the G League um, because um, Kaminga was a guy that very few scouts had a lot of tape on, in a sense, and also feel like with the Ignite, they have to make it work. So if you sign a guy to the Ignite team out of high school or whatever, then you have to give him playing time because if the if it doesn't work, then especially with this NIL and college basketball, it's going to be tough to get prospects there. And I think we might be seeing it a little bit this year because as of now, I mean, it's still early. I haven't seen any of the like really high caliber high school players going to the Ignite. I know Scoot Henderson will be there next year. So... Um, that that's always uh, I mean something or it's something that you're probably gonna have to hear about going forward. But this year's classes is there's more guys that I think can get drafted. Even though I thought last year Deshaun Nix should have been drafted, and I thought he pulled it on. Um, but yeah, I mean you got to factor in: is a team trying to win, or is a team just trying to get guys drafted? And if they're trying to win, then will the guys play? So it's it's kind of a, a curveball going. It's going to be interesting to see how that does develop. And you're right, with the NIL stuff, the, the quality of the Ignite prospects might start start to drop off. And that's going to be really intriguing to see how that all works again with you know, Overtime Elite as well, heading into their second year as well next season, how that all splits up and how all that happens. And then, of course, with the potential um, you know, high schoolers moving to the NBA at some point in the future, a whole bunch of stuff with scouting and draft evaluations changing. It's ever-evolving. And we've seen that uh, here evolving uh, during, during this sort of thing. Now, you, you did... Um, Actually, I was going to get to that now. We'll get to that in a second because I've got to tell you now about Rock Auto. Raf, I probably should ask you this question, but do you know how to fix your own car? No, sir. No way. Not at all. Thank you. Neither I can, do I. I can tell you a draft process, but I can't tell you what a... 
Nah, look, it's, it's probably a half-half split from my experience talking to Locked On Hosts about whether they know how to use their car but or how to fix their car. But one thing is 100% across the board that if you do know how to fix your car, you do know where to get the parts. And that is at Rock Auto. Why would you go to a local chain auto parts store or the dealership where they're going to charge you out of the ass to spend more money on parts that are the same? You can spend up to 30, 50, even 100% more on those same parts when you can just go to Rock Auto, an online family business serving auto parts customers for 20 years and get those parts at a brilliant price all of the time. Rock Auto has an extensive range, whatever part you need for your car or truck. So when you check out their website, check out that huge range, go and find all those parts that you need for your car or truck, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even new carpet. You can find everything you want there. And when you do, in their How Did You Hear About Us box right locked on so that they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, you, um, you spoiled the question earlier because you didn't know the question. That's fine. Is it a three or a four? Or you said even five or six player draft. We always hear that. It's a three player draft. And yeah, oh, the poor Kings, they fell at number four. But I tend to think that it's probably, yeah, not some not interchangeable necessarily in the top four. But if any of those top four guys, which of course I'm talking Holmgren, Smith, Bunkero, and Ivy, if they all went at one or two, I don't think that I would be up in arms about it necessarily. Do you have Ivy in that group? Do you have Murray added into that group? Do you have Sharp added into that group? So yeah, the way I like to look at this, if someone came out and said, I'm taking Shaden Sharp at number one, would you go, that's absolutely stupid? Or would you say, yeah, I get it? I say both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> on one hand, I would say it's stupid because he has very, very little sample size. And um, what I've heard, and I had tweeted about it, but he didn't really get Kentucky either. So scouts didn't really get a feel for him at that. At Kentucky, so on one hand I would say yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty stupid, but it, it would take somebody that has crazy job security, which Sam Presti does have Apple security, but he's not picking first overall. And then, um, you know, to the other part is yeah, I mean it's intriguing. I mean you look at what Boston is doing with uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Teams want big wing scores, guys that can create their own shot off the dribble that play the wing. And if you have that, you have an, an advantage. And so Sharp appears to be the best guy in this class that has the combination of size, athleticism, and shot creativity at the wings. So it's a copycat league, and, and I think definitely with Boston going to the finals, it probably helps him out a little bit, despite the fact that he has such a small sample size. Before I get on to my last question here, where do you see Chet playing? Because I talked about on my mock draft yesterday, I said, look, I think one of the things we've seen a lot through the, the playoffs and in the NBA season is that centers, unless you're unbelievable, unless you're Embiid, unless you're Jokic, and to a lesser extent, say Towns, that you're pretty replaceable and you're not needed a lot of the time. You have to be a certain sort of center. Um, even Bam, we saw the offensive struggles really come to the fore here. Um, your guys being minimized or marginalized or schemed out of things in the playoffs. And yeah, I said that prioritization is switchable forward wing size guys yeah, who can hold up in the playoffs and play those play those big minutes, create their own shot, all that sort of stuff. And then yeah, there's Chet, who is center-sized, height-wise, obviously has the frame issues, which we're not going to get into too much here. But is he a center or is he a guy that will play like an Evan Mobley, say this season, out on at the four, be able to switch onto the perimeter without having to be um, there as a center, which again is not the most highly prioritized position. That is a million dollar question. 
I really, I really think it is. I had spoke with a scout and I had tweeted about it and it kind of went viral and I had a bunch of people arguing in my comments. A lot of people probably saw it. And the scout made the the um, the comment that he felt like Chet is a, a good rim protector, but he thinks his greatest asset on defense is his ability to move his feet and switch out on the perimeter. But he said, if he's going to be your, perimeter, your, your pick and roll defender, that means you have to play him at the five. He said, well, if he's in at the five, then you really don't need to play him in pick and roll. Team doesn't really need to run pick and roll. You can just, you know, bury him with your bigger, stronger center and make him defend. So he said that he felt like he could, he would play him at the four and then maybe use him as like a weak shot blocker, but he kind of eliminate how good he is on defense if, if he's playing at the four because he may be guarding stretch fours or, you know, maybe guarding a, a guy like Boyan Bogdan who's not going to really, you know, drive to the basket a lot. So he even said it that that he thinks it's tough. And then the, the comparison Mobley is Mobley played with Jared Allen. And it worked for Cleveland. Now, does another team have another all-star type, type center that you can pair with Chet? We don't know. And then there's also the... You know, the people that felt like Mobley struggled a little bit on defense when he had to play center, when Jared Allen was gone. So, I, I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, I think everything involving Chet is going to be difficult because there's, there's really no one-to-one -one comparison. And so right now you're starting to see the success of Evan Mobley kind of factor into the comparisons. But if it were me, I may run him, I start him at the four and then maybe play him at the five in the second unit, depending on matchups, but absolutely not do I want to throw him out there and have to guard and be the Jokic. I mean, even guys like Valanciunas are just bigger, stronger guys like Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, these are guys that can really make life difficult for him. So I would start him at the four, but I think he is kind of tough around defensively. Here's a bridge question into our last discussion, but um, in terms of the way that, that teams are seeing um, your, your preferences around the league, and I've just completely blanked on what I was going to ask you, which is always always great. I'll get back to that in a second. Let, let's talk about front office scouting. Now, you, you are out there at the NBA Combine. You, you're talking to mm -hmm. scouts. You're hearing what, what, they're, um, what they're saying. Um, you're asking questions. They're asking you questions, all of this sort of stuff. Has there been any noticeable change in the way that scouts are approaching this draft in you know, what I said earlier? You know, that they're like, hey, we need wings. We want shooting. We want shot creation. We want defense. Like, what is the thing? Obviously, if you can get all that together, it's fantastic. Um, but what is the overall, hey, this is what is really what we think is driving success in the NBA. You know, in the past, it was like, we just want shooting, 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 shooting. Then you know, is, it, is it something different? Where are they at at the moment with that? You know, that's a question I really don't know the answer to because if you look at the top five guys in this draft, they all play totally different. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the trends of bigs being off the floor. Well, the top three picks more than likely are going to be bigs. Maybe you can say they're all fours, but each one is something totally different. While, you know, Jabari does provide the shooting. Chet provides the defense and the shooting. Ben Carroll is the, the score that they feel like is ready. While Jaden Ivey could end up being like a John Morant type player. I don't know if there's like a particular trend as far as like, you know, usually you hear about it being a copycat league and, and some guys rising, you know, like throughout the years, we've seen guys going high in the draft because everybody's trying to duplicate 
the next Dirk or anything like that. So I don't think this year is a draft where there's a bunch of trends simply because it's such a wide variety of skill set. Everybody seems totally, totally different. I mean, I guess the only trend I can say that's consistent is that if you're like a old school back to the basket bruiser of a center, then if you were born in 2002, you'd be a first round pick. Same exact style in 2022, and you could end up undrafted. I say that's probably the most consistent trend. The question that I was going to ask before, and it would have been perfect segue into that that question, but you know, because I'm uh, you're losing my mind, I'm going to ask it now. I heard someone say, you know, hey, it might have even been you. I've been consuming so much NBA draft content over the last little bit of time here. That someone said that when we're talking about Chet and you know saying player comparison don't really know who it is that when you have prospects where you go i don't know who this guy is like i don't know who to compare him to we haven't really seen anyone like that that's normally a really big green flag to say hey this guy's successful we don't know who the hell he is or what he does or who it's like there's no one really we've ever seen like that that's a massive green flag so that's probably going to be pretty successful in the nba do you subscribe to that theory that that sort of you know, we, unicorn gets banded about so much that we have you know, 50 unicorns because they're all doing the same thing. But guys, we go, I don't actually know who to compare this guy to. We haven't seen this before. Is that is that a really good sign? As he just drops out of the conversation. Didn't like the question. We'll get back to that in a sec. All right, big fella's back. We're ready to answer, or maybe I'm going to re-ask this question, and we'll talk about Chet before. And saying how yeah, there's just really no no comparison in the NBA or in the NBA past to a player like Chet. And I heard someone say in on some podcasts of all, all the stuff that I've been reading, it might have been you. I don't know who it was saying that when you get a player who we say you know, he's excellent, he's at the top of the draft, he's put up all these numbers through all levels, high school, college, all this sort of stuff, but we don't know who to compare him to. He's never really seen anyone like that. It's a huge green flag for a player like that to say, this is going to be a really, really good sign that we just don't have a comparison to this player. We haven't seen that. It's successful. It's weird. And it's putting up really, really good numbers and being successful. Do you subscribe to that theory that if there is someone who is actually a unicorn versus the way that unicorn gets bandied about across uh, the NBA circles when there's 50 blokes all doing the same thing, that when we do have a guy that we haven't actually seen a player like this before, that that's a good thing. Oh, man, you put me in a hot seat with some of these tough questions. And I think I heard this, the same podcast and um, it's, I mean, I say this much. I think a lot of it may have to do with your security as a general manager. If you have maybe a long-term deal and you're not on a one-year deal, then I think you can gamble on someone that you can't compare to. But I think if, I mean, realistically, if you are on a last year of your contract, you don't have much job security, I think you might have to get it right and you gamble on a player that you can kind of put into a box and say, this is who we think he's going going to be like. So, um, and I, I think the comparisons are legit. I think on that same particular podcast, they were saying they were, that was similar to Kevin Garnett, I mean, or Kevin Durant at the time. And, you know, we didn't have seven foot guards, guys with guard skills. And that one was the one that worked out. But then again, I, I can see ones where it didn't work out. Like there wasn't a comparison for Thon Maker at one point or, or Bo Bowl. And those guys haven't really fared well at, at this point. So, um, but I am a swing for the fences guy. I, I, I do think that you, you have to gamble. And so I, w- I would 
say, like in, in Chet's case, that I, I would swing for the fences, especially if I'm a, if I'm a general manager or whatever, and I'm, and I'm comfortable with my development and, and the staff that I have. So um, I, I would go ahead and say it is a positive. It's someone that you can't really make an apples-to-apples comparison to. Well, there you go. That is our introduction to the 2022 NBA draft class. Raf is going to come back at some point in the next couple of weeks and we're going to dig into some prospects in a little bit more detail. Again, go and check out Raf at nbabigboard.com, the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast as well. Some great stuff that you and the guys are churning out over there. Follow him on Twitter at Barlow500. Raf, thanks again for coming on the show. Anytime, man. Anytime you want me on, just let me know. We'll make it happen. It's going to happen in a few weeks, mate. We'll see you back here. Thanks again for coming on today. No problem. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's show. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, on the old Odyssey app. If you're here on YouTube, thumb it up, leave your comments down below. Tomorrow, we're going to be digging into some prospects. We're going to be joined by Mark Schindler. We're going to be talking about Jalen Duren. We're going to be talking about EJ Liddell. Liddell? Liddell? What did I say that? EJ Liddell. Um, Marjon Beauchamp, among others. We'll be back then. Guys, Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.